That is who you are. That is who you are. <laughs> that is who I am. I apologize. I forgot to dismiss the children to Sunday school. So if you are in our children's department, you may be dismissed to Sunday school. You may follow Miss Brittany out this door. And we will welcome our wonderful Pastor John up to give the sermon today. Good morning. All right, I'm back. Did you miss me? We continue in our series on the Proverbs. And in chapter 10, verses 10 through 14, we have five Proverbs that treat right and wrong use of speech, to put it in kind of a simple way. And here in these verses are some very useful, we could call them pro tips or pieces of expert advice, but we should also see something else here. We should see that right and wrong use of speech is connected with our character. It's not just uh, in isolation something that we approve or something that we disapprove. What is approved and disapproved in the eyes of the Proverbs is connected to who we are. So in these verses, we see positives and negatives. We see communication from the troublemaker and the foolish person, and also the righteous and the wicked, the discerning and those who are not discerning, those who are wise and those who are foolish. And we need to keep that in mind as we read that in these verses, we realize character is judged by our speech, our words, even our nonverbal communication. So let's read this together. I think you'll see what I mean. Starting in verse 10, whoever winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. When we open the Bible, the first words are in the beginning. And then God spoke. In fact, we're told God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the opening of the Gospel of John, we have the words, in the beginning. And we're told 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. God's Word created. God's Word saved. God's Word is a reflection of the kind of God He is. It makes a difference who authors a word. But it reminds us that words, whether they are divine or human, words have power. Power to harm and power to heal. When I was a child, my mom would encourage me She would say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. As I've grown up, I realize that's not true. I've been hurt the most by words. I've seen some of the greatest damage by words. Words are powerful. Very powerful. James says... And the tongue is a substitute for the use of our mouth and the use of words. James says the tongue is an unruly evil. Jesus said we will give an account for every careless word. That's a chilling thought. At least it is to me because, yeah, I've authored a few careless words in my life. But why are words so important? Jesus also provides the answer. Words are a window to our heart. And by the way, I I don't know if it should be window to our heart, window on our heart, window of our heart. A window allows us to see our heart. And words act as such a window. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, and he's in the middle of a conversation, so he's addressing someone specifically, and he says to this person, how can you say anything good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus goes on to say the good person out of the treasure of his good brings forth good. And the evil person out of his treasure of evil brings forth evil. In Matthew chapter 15 verse 18, just In our Bible, that would be a couple of pages beyond what we just read. Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth, what comes forth out of the mouth is from the heart. It comes forth from the heart. Proverbs chapter 10, this is the chapter we're in. In verse 20, we're told in verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is weighed against the heart of the wicked. So, get wisdom. Get wisdom. 
Our words are a window on our heart. And I think the wise know the impact of words, the truth of words, and the wisest of words. I think the wise know that or know more about it. And I think that's because right-hearted people, I mean, if you have a right heart, Those kinds of things, you know, the way you wield the power of your heart, it's kind of automatically good. It does right things, not wrong things. The more right your heart, the more right your thoughts, the the more right your words. The more mindful of the Lord and faith, the more mindful uh, are your thoughts and they're going to be more focused on the, on the Lord and related to the Lord, influenced by the Lord. And so what comes out of your mouth is going to be flavored by your consciousness of the Lord and your identity in Jesus Christ. We have resurrected hearts in Jesus Christ. We have resurrected hearts. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on our lives in the church is, as it were, an installment, um, a first taste of the resurrection life. But it's more than just a taste. It's actually the power of the resurrection life in our life. And it becomes real to us as we exercise our faith and our sense of who we really are, which is a faith realization and action in Jesus Christ. With resurrected hearts, then, we are going to be prone to and increasingly going to communicate God's goodness in our words and in our speech. That just makes perfect sense to me. The more we have our minds stayed on him, the more then the influence of Jesus is going to come out through our attitude and our nonverbal communication, the way we carry ourselves, the things, the messages that we send with our, with our gestures, our eyes, our lives are going to communicate as well as our words the influence of Jesus Christ, and that's going to be positive and encouraging and constructive and good. We have, so to speak, a leg up on the wise who, that were, who were part and parcel and engaged in the Proverbs that we're learning from and reading about because we have Jesus Christ in our lives. We have the finished work of Jesus Christ at work in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we want to look this morning at the impact of words, the truth of words, and the wisest of words. And as I said, our words, our speech, our communication, it mirrors our heart. It matters It matters what we say. Five of the seven things that God hates, which uh, 
We were given a peek out a few weeks back in chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. We're told God hates these things, and seven of those things have to do with the heart and what we communicate, both verbal and nonverbal. In verse 10 here in this chapter, we're given two examples of what I would call self-absorbed communication. One form of that communication harms others. The other form of that communication harms the person that is doing the communicating. In other words, we either harm others or we harm ourselves. And that kind of communication, as I said, is kind of a self-saturated, self-centered communication. In the first part of verse 10, we're told that our eyes are a window on the heart because our eyes convey things that can hurt and cause harm or create and stir trouble. Isn't that amazing what he says? He uses, the expression is translated from the Hebrew, winks. But quite frankly, I'm not sure exactly it, that it's confined to a wink. It's not strictly a wink. It, it could be a squint. The word has to do with tapering or squeezing. You know, if you're talking to me sincerely about something and I start squinting at you, What's that communicate? Like doubt, disbelief? How's that make me feel if I want you, listen, this really matters to me. That's like, really? Or how about an eye roll? So there are different things. Glancing aside, you ever been talking to somebody and they're glancing elsewhere? This word is translated glance in other contexts. In other words, it's not just winking. Winking too can confuse and project something that means in all of these examples that what's in our heart is not always in sync with our body language. And that can hurt people's feelings. It can suggest that we're false, we're not engaged, we're not sincere, not honest. That's the point. We are communicating even when we aren't using words. Next time you might pay attention to the body language of others when you're in conversation with them. Do they hold your eye contact? Or are they looking away as though they're disinterested? That hurts, especially if you're saying something that's important to you. It's diminishing, it's belittling. It's saying what you're saying isn't important. It also makes us mindful of our own body language. In the second line, it talks about the babbling fool. Babbling. Literally, the word means the mouth or lips of the fool. Foolish lips would be the way we would translate it. Foolish lips. Well, foolish lips sink ships. Isn't that the way it goes? Oh, the loose lips. 
But see, when you're talking about foolish, you could talk about all kinds of reckless behavior, reckless-hearted things. The point is, is that what is the character of the fool? What is the character of the person who isn't in sync with what's going on in their body language? It's a person that's selfish and self-absorbed. And when we're self-absorbed, and maybe we don't ponder what that's about, or maybe we don't even notice it about ourselves, but a self-absorbed person doesn't care about other people. So that's why what you're saying doesn't really matter when you're talking to me. A self-absorbed person, when they make decisions, doesn't care about the ramifications of those decisions on others. It's just to promote yourself. It's about me above all. And that is the most dangerous person in the world, and yet our world, the Bible tells us, is full, full of people who are self-absorbed, self-centered, selfish. It's at the heart of sin. And it is a reckless disposition and outlook on life because it means that Other people don't matter, and we don't work as a collective or a community as often unless there's something in it for us. So if we use that as some kind of understanding how to interpret these word pictures of foolish lips or eyes glancing, twinkling, darting, squinted, we understand that this is the kind of behavior that creates harm but ultimately harms the person himself or herself because there's no more dangerous place or behavior than self-centered behavior. And sometimes it can lead to isolation, alienating people that we once thought were friends, and there's no more impoverished person or place in this world than to be a person without friends. To be a person suspect, untrusted, unreliable, selfish, that's not your go-to person. But we tend to conceal that because we know it's ugly. We know it puts us above others. We know the sting and harm of words. I was thinking about illustrations, and then I thought, we really don't need illustrations. We have plenty at our fingertips. Some of us here today, still hurting from something you heard, maybe early this morning or through social media or yesterday from someone you care about deeply, those things don't go away. We can be smiling, carrying on conversation, and that kind of hurt can be running in the background. How about gossip? Gossip is generally considered negative, so I'm not going to go into all kinds of definitions, but What's behind gossip? Immaturity. Insecurity. 
jealousy, envy. That's what gives it, gives it that malicious intent. We don't just say it to inform or to describe. There's a spin on it. We want someone to look bad. And since we're delivering the message, we look a little superior. By the way, whoever gossips to you will gossip about you. What about marriage? I'll bet if we could have a unemotional conversation with someone who has gone through divorce, gone through a split, even if it wasn't a marriage, but it was a close relationship that really mattered, and now we could talk about it in a, in a kind of an even-handed way. If I were to ask that person in something of an interview and say, how much did words play a part in your split? In the growing distrust, in the sense of hostility and resentment, in seeing the person that you were once attracted to and counted as a lifelong partner or dearest friend, and now you're split apart, what got in the middle? What was the wedge? If it wasn't words. You see the truth of what Jesus was saying? Those words wouldn't matter if they didn't matter. Those words communicate your being, your heart, your commitment, your love. And when you start using them to damage in cruel ways to belittle and chip away at a person's heart, you're destroying yourself. Especially if you're married in one flesh, you're destroying yourself. Words are powerful. Marriages split because of words. Relationships break. Contracts, business relationships. Everything is broken because of words. Or actions that represent words, that represent our hearts. And so distrust and unbelievability how about the truth of words? That's the impact of words. But what about the truth of words? Well, I'll tell you what the truth of words is. Their words, the truth about words is they have great power, which is something I've been saying and illustrating. But what I want us to appreciate is that the fool doesn't, the fool thinks words don't matter. You can use them any way you want. You can make them work for you. It doesn't matter if they're true. If they work for you, if they get you what you want, you can say whatever you want. It doesn't matter whether it's true or false. That's an incredibly scary place to be when words don't matter because they have power. Wise people realize this. They choose their words carefully. Fools do not. Here in verse 11 and 12, there's a play on the word mouth because the word mouth 
can actually mean like the mouth of a well, right? So when you're talking about a fountain, you're talking about the mouth of a fountain. It says the wise are a fountain of life. Their mouth is a fountain. It's a source. It's an opening of life. Everywhere they go, they just do things that are encouraging, constructive, truthful, honest, fair, good. I mean, something honest is good. Something false is not good. It's bad. It's all, integra- it's all integrated and interrelated. I kind of squished them together. I was trying to make a shorter word there. Inter something. The mouth of the wicked, it says in the second half of verse 11, is a cover, a cover, that literally a cover for violence. In other words, instead of a source of life, there's violence and it's concealed with words. Words cover it so that you can't see the violence because that's the difference of the heart. One is filled with violence. One is filled with life-giving properties. What a difference. Verse 12 says, hatred does one thing, love does another. What does hatred do? Well, hatred stirs up. It kicks up. It ignites. It activates. It makes things happen that are bad. It triggers things that are bad. In this case, the word that's used is strife. Interference. Strife pushes people apart. It doesn't bring them together. It makes divisions. It makes one person better than another. One person more valuable than another. And so forth. Because hate doesn't love Hate doesn't care about others. You can see why fools would more easily hate because fools are self-absorbed, self-centered. Nothing matters more than the fool. They may be that way just because they haven't been educated, because they don't think deeply about the meaning of life or what matters in life. Life is just about pleasure, feeling good, having fun. I understand that when we're children, but that's not the basis of responsibility, civic, constructive citizenship. Hatred versus love. What drives our use of words? Is it hatred or is it love? What love does is it covers up. I've found loving people that overlook slights and little things. And they just seem to bring healing to them. They're people of forgiveness. 
Loving people are forgiving people. There's just no two ways about it. With love comes forgiveness. Overlooking a fault, a mistake, instead of pointing it out or embarrassing somebody on the spot. That's why this verse, love covers, love heals, love protects, love forgives. Love covers a multitude of sins, says Peter, says John, says Paul. Illusions, reflections of this verse, of this truth. Words of hate stir up. Far more wrongs I've found in life are set right by kindness than by harshness. If, if love is in the room, so is kindness. If love is in the room, so is forgiveness. So is hope. And joy. A positive outlook. A healing influence. But where there's hate, things get worse. Things are made worse. The truth of words is that they're powerful. And if you understand that power wield without thought will harm people. And that's the truth of words. They're powerful. And then the wisest of words. Do you know what the wisest of words are? Accuracy and timing. Words that are mindful or reflect accuracy and timing. I've found that by personal experience. In fact, when it says in the next verse, the wise store up knowledge, what that means is they just don't spurt things out at any old time. They choose the time. They wait for the right moment. And words, if this is just a personal message from me to you. If you want, if, if you find that you're easily rocked, emotionally shaken, uh, listen, if you'll just work on being as accurate as you can in the use of your words, what that will do is it will cause you to be more accurate in the way you talk to yourself. A lot of people are emotional wrecks because they talk to themselves in very sloppy ways. They exaggerate and blow things out of proportion and they say to themselves things that aren't true or true about others. Isn't that going to get you worked up? If you, if you exaggerate things? So the more accurate you are with words the more honest you are with yourself, life will go a lot better. It stands to reason. And here, when it talks about the wisest of words, we're talking about the wisdom that is on the lips of the discerning. You see, the lips have a pipeline to the heart. So, good judgment 
is reflected in the way we use our lips, our words, our speech, the way we communicate. The senseless lack judgment. Do you know what the word for lack judgment or senseless is? Literally, in the Hebrew, it is lacks heart. Or we could say, you need heart. This person needs heart. That's what makes them senseless is they're deficient in heart. They don't have heart. They lack heart. And so the sense of this verse is that the wise understands sound speech, but fools only understand punishment. The wise react more to the meaning of words. It wouldn't take much to hurt a wise person with a true word. But you'd sooner have to hit somebody over the back with a board to get their attention because words don't matter or mean a thing. And they don't really listen to you or believe what anybody says unless it falls in line with the way they think and what they already want to believe and believe about themselves. Verse 14, as I said, the wise lay up knowledge. The heart of the righteous ponder how to answer. That's foresight. That's foresight. When you make decisions or you think about saying something, do you ever think about the consequences or the ramifications? Do you kind of look down the road and like maybe if you've ever played chess, you're three, four, five or more moves ahead looking at the configuration of what your move will mean to the strategy of the game. And in the same way, what we say has a rippling effect that impacts others. And there are consequences. It's the wise who think about those consequences. And they can see the damage that it might do if it's ill-timed or inaccurate. You know what the most powerful and important word is in the light of all this? The word forgiveness. No matter how wise you are, in fact, I would say it's the wiser of us that understand and appreciate forgiveness because the wiser of us are very aware of our shortcomings and failings. We respond without having to be hit or spanked or punished to, to find out about these things. So we're sensitized to our behavior and our actions. But the beautiful thing is that forgiveness is something that says you can start over. You, you can let go of the baggage. You don't have to drag it along with you. You can really leave it behind you which means that you have a fresh start. You don't face shame. You don't face judgment. 
You may deal with, we may deal with the ramifications of what we've done, but in the eyes of the Lord, it is, and he's the one we're talking about here. Because when we think about Jesus, the Last Supper, the bread and the cup, it was about new beginnings, grounded in forgiveness, new starts, a new covenant, grounded in the incredible, sacrificial, powerful work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His life for ours. That says you're so valuable. You can enhance that value as you walk with the Lord. As you walk with the Lord. Because it'll change your heart. And that's, as we've seen, not a very small thing. All that can happen this morning as we take this bread and this cup. These words, forgiveness. The wiser you grow, the more God's forgiveness will mean to you. Words matter. God says in this bread and this cup, you're forgiven. I hope you'll take that to heart. Let's take a moment to prepare our hearts. Do some talking with the Lord. Then we'll observe the bread and the cup. And I'm going to then close the service, so my part of it, in prayer. But I want you to know I'm going to be down front along with others, some of our deacons, elders, or pastoral staff, those who are in the room with us. If you would like to pray this morning, Maybe God's put something on your heart that you would like to pray about with one of us. I want you to know as we're singing our closing song, we'll be down here in front. And if you'd like to make your way, we would welcome the chance to talk with you and pray with you. So let's take a moment and then I'll lead us in observing the bread and the cup. Heavenly Father, we all want to be wiser. It's it's a product. It's an outcome of walking with you. It's one of those beautiful benefits. And the wiser we grow, the more we appreciate who you are and your word to us. It's truth, it's power, it's impact shows up in our lives it all in a way began with the bread and the cup when Jesus communicated to his first disciples even as he communicates to us now the meaning of his death and resurrection And so we observe this with great gravity and sense of appreciation. And we 
pray that you would aid us through your spirit in understanding what it is we do now and the powerful truth that is ours in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had blessed, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. same way after supper the cup also saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood all of you drink it As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. May this week we cherish your words to us and all of your love that you communicate to us through them, for they are precious to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.